right, welcome everybody. Thanks for coming this evening. My name is Jay Lacani, and it's my privilege to welcome you tonight to our listening night. Um, we are excited to have this group of five wonderful people being able to talk with us this evening as they share their experiences and perspectives on race and racism, specifically within the context of our Christian faith in the church. So tonight we'll hear from, I'm going to start with, just go down the row here, we'll start with Tony Pagan. Tony is from LaSage, West Virginia, and he has been a member at HCC for eight years. Tony recently married Jenny, and he currently works as a security officer at Mildred Mitchell Bateman Hospital. Keenan Fitzgerald, Keenan is from Dunbar, West Virginia. He's been a member at HCC for three years. He's married to Leah and his dad of Jaden, and currently works as a cook at SIP Downtown Brasserie. Next, we got Ben Anderson, who's from Beckley, West Virginia. He's been a member at HCC for a year and a half. Ben is a junior at Marshall and studying health sciences with a minor in psychology. He currently works at, at Grindstone. And Adrian Johnson. Adrian is a Huntington native and has been a member at HCC since her sophomore year at college. She currently works as a nurse on the pediatric floor at Cabell Huntington Hospital. And finally, we have Savannah Ham. Savannah was born and raised in Pomona, California, but moved to Beckley, West Virginia while in middle school. She's been a member at HCC for three years. She also was recently married to Cody Ham, and she graduated from Marshall with a Master in Healthcare Administration. So we appreciate each of you this evening, your time, your willingness to share with us, and we're going to move right into our discussion this evening. Basically, our format will be um, each panelist will have a few minutes to be able to share about their personal experiences. Following that, we have nine, eight or nine pre-submitted questions that you, the church, have submitted uh, for them to address. And to conclude our evening, we'll have an open question and answer period in which you guys will have a chance uh, this evening to ask any additional questions that you may have. So let's begin. Um, Tony, would you like to start us off, and then we'll just work down the line. You can just kind of share just a few minutes about your personal background and experiences. Hey, my name is Tony. Um, geez, so my accent kind of gave me away, but um, my family is not from West Virginia. My mom is from Guatemala. My dad is from New York City of Puerto Rican descent. So when I was a kid, I'd known Spanish first, which is why the accent doesn't emphasize the consonants if you listen to me. I don't want to say my consonants too well because it just talks faster than I'm supposed to in English. And man, oh man, did I cause all sorts of issues when I was in school. Um, so my accent, because I don't Spanish before the English, most of my vocab in kindergarten was Spanish. So I was failing my English classes at kindergarten. So they thought I had autism because my accent. So they put me through a bunch of tests, you know, just unfortunate accent. And so I try my best after that to be like, oh, I don't really want people to know I'm different. I want to be like everyone else. So I try my best to um, blend in. My family is very much into their Latino heritage. And I was like, man, that just sounds like more effort to like, divide me from everyone else. And why would I do that? I don't want no one to dislike me. I want to be liked by everyone. And then as I get older and older, I realize you can't escape being a different race if you come from a majority white place. Like, the older I get, the more regulations and stuff, the more I deal with police officers, the more I realize, well, I'm not being treated like everyone else. 
my accent gives me away. I think they need to give me some more accommodation because I'm not, I guess, white Appalachian. I don't talk like them. And so that was really prone when I got to college and everything became about my race. And they're like, why? Like, my grades are good to everyone else. Why does it matter what race I am? Why did I care? My academics are good to anyone else's. It mattered to a lot of people. And I'm like, so all that time trying to ignore this, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. But it comes first false, and I think that would happen when I got to this church eight years ago, even. Like, this church predominantly was white when I got here eight years ago. Not a bad thing. Most of Huntington is white. Our church should reflect the people group in. But, you know, you know very quickly, because I didn't come from church or grew up in church, the church culture does not like race. They don't like talking about it. They don't like dealing with it. This church is no different. We never talked about it. We never addressed it. Not because they didn't care about it or it wasn't important. They were just like, it was divisive. And our church had always preached unity. And I pray for that tonight, still unity. I hope you don't hear any of us ragging against our brother and sister, but while trying to show you that we want to be represented as ourselves and not blend into everyone else. Because that would make us so cool. God created every individual person unique. There's no need for us to pretend to be something we're not. And I think this is a good night for that. And I just want to finish my time with some scripture. Because you know me, I love my Bible. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 and 24. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek the own good, but the good of his neighbor. And I posted that my heart felt. I'm sick to give of our neighbor. I want our church to be healthy, to be a vibrant church that can reach across every people, every tribe, every tribe, every nation should feel comfortable here. And I pray that this conversation tonight will help do just that. Okay. Can you all hear me? Okay, cool. Um, my name is Keenan. Um, I grew up in Dunbar for most of my life until I moved to South Charleston for high school. Um, so uh, my dad is black, my mom is white, and I've lived, I guess you could say, a kind of pretty mixed life, if that makes sense. So like, I grew up in Dunbar, and the town we lived in, it was a smaller, um, uh, what the affordable housing kind of area, so primarily black. Um, little neighborhood. Um, it was actually called The Bottom, and it was called that because the two streets that lead to it from either side, I guess, of the city were downhill. So we were, the apartments were located at the bottom of this, like, uh, like where the intersection met, I guess. And it was, you know, I guess it kind of looked like your traditional, I guess, kind of um, uh, urban type area, I guess. I mean, all the, you know, all the houses looked the same. It was pretty, mostly poor. Um, mostly black community. Uh, my dad's an officer also, so he's been an officer about 20 years. Um, he's, in, you know, I've gotten that, I grew up in that uh, experience of having a, <clears throat> a black <clears throat> father who was also an officer. I don't really, I never got immersed in, into any of what he dealt with. He didn't, never really brought that home and, uh, in terms of sharing that with me. So I was largely unaware of that kind of uh, the, the, the race issue, I guess, that you could, uh, in America. And then, so, we kind of grew up there, and uh, most of my life I've had two kind of split best friend groups. So, like, in middle school and high school, I had about four or five white guys I was really great friends with, and we still are friends today. And But where I lived, when I lived in um, Dunbar, it was, I had about four or five, like, best black friends. And 
Not often did we all hang out together, if ever, I don't think. Um, but I got to a very much experience of really even bounce of both of those realities, I guess. And um, my black friends, you know, their families were poor. Um, we, you know, the neighborhood we hung out in was not incredibly dangerous, but if you went about three or four blocks up, it got a little bit unsafe. Um, so we just were in that kind of reality. But then I could go across the tracks in Dunbar, and it was largely a uh, more white community, and I hung out with those, my white best friends, and we got, you know, there was no, like, section of town where we were like, well, you know, those guys are there, this people, or whatever, and, um, and there, you know, kind of cops kind of scouring those streets and that kind of thing. So, but this was all, like, I existed in this completely unaware of, like, I guess never really acknowledging the differences or why they're different or why, like, there's certain things to be, like, why, aside from the fact that it might be dangerous, my parents told me it's dangerous down the street, like, why this neighborhood might be different than the one that's literally, like, half a mile away. Like, it looked entirely different, but the realities were a lot, um, it was, they were very different. Um, as I got into high school, we actually moved out of this community in Dunbar into South Charleston, and we lived in, you know, not, it wasn't like a mansion or anything, but it was a much bigger, it was a home, my mom got a nice job as a nurse, and we lived on top of a hill, so it was kind of like, you know, that, you know, uh, community that's kind of like up and separated and kind of away and safer, and it was more white almost entirely, and it was more just, I guess you could say, uh, wealthy-ish, I guess. We weren't like rich or anything, but it was just a different reality than living in um, projects, and I still wasn't entirely like acknowledging like, you know, the different kind of things until I got into high school, and I realized like I was... I guess became racially aware, I guess you could say it was, which is odd to say if you're a person of color, you should, you're kind of aware of your race, but I guess um, I was blessed to not be ever directly confronted in that nature for most of my life. I never, like, you know, there was no, um, there were words said to me by certain people in my life that were racially motivated, but uh, I don't know, that was, I guess, at the time, I just didn't, it didn't have a trigger for me, I guess, my awareness and just why it was being said. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of went through life kind of just being, I don't know, whatever I thought I was and not acknowledging race differences. I mean, my friends, my white friends, they would say things that now when I look back, we obviously just, they were built-in assumptions and prejudice of people and not... That's not a, necessarily a, an indictment on their character. It was just like we were, that was just how we oper operated, being ignorant and unaware of what we're saying and me just hearing it and letting it go through one ear and out the other. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been able, I've just kind of, as I've become more aware, I've kind of been able to reflect on these things and actually see their significance and I guess shaping where I'm at now with the whole, like, the, the concept of race and this entire discussion, just where I've landed on that and why I feel the way I do, which we'll get into in the questions and stuff. And um, I think it's 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 good. It's been a good thing to be, I get the way my life has kind of played out in terms of just getting to see both realities and being able to now speak about these things in a, a less unaware way, a less ignorant way. I'm still there's still so much for me to learn as well, but. Um, this is just as I reflect on like my the reality of literally living a mixed life in terms of just black neighborhood, white neighborhood, and the friends and everything, and 
my parents coming from my mom's Catholic, my dad Baptist in Montgomery, like totally the reality is just kind of clashing. And I feel like in this kind of moment, they kind of come to a head and realizing like how these have begun to play out in my life now. So yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's kind of like my background. Hi, um, I'm Ben Anderson. I grew up in Beckley, West Virginia. Um, and most of my life, uh, I spent growing up in HUD funded housing uh, in, in a broken home uh, from two black parents. Uh, my father has been incarcerated in and out uh, since I was about 10 years old. And my mother uh, has always been in my life and present. And she's a believer and my father's an atheist. Um, so I did not grow up a believer uh, in and out of church might have claimed Christ, but never truly knew what it meant to follow him um, until I came to ACC. And uh, I've been welcomed as predominantly white as our church is. Uh, I think that's no secret. Um, I've been welcomed with open arms and I experienced culture shock definitely initially, like coming in to one like white Baptist culture. Uh, it's very different than what I grew up experiencing. And so I'm just thankful for tonight and uh, that we get to share our experiences with you guys. Hey, oh, that was loud. Um, my name's Adrian. Uh, I, I like to consider myself a Huntington native. I've lived here since middle school. Uh, before that, my family bounced around a lot. I was born in Georgia, we moved to North Carolina, lived in Florida for a good portion of um, elementary school. Um, and moving here was definitely a culture shock. Um, I grew up uh, in like elementary school and like all of my friends were like Latina or black. And then I moved up here and I was like, where did everybody go? <laughs> um, I was like, what the heck is going on? Um, but I, I'm biracial, my dad is black, my mom is white. Um, and I would say my journey like with my cultural identity um, has definitely been like a journey of self-discovery. I don't think race was a very big conversation in my home, um, especially in earlier years. I think like as we got older, my dad was kind of like, be wary of the police in certain situations, be careful. But it was never like, this is your identity. This is who you, this is who you are. I think, I guess in a way, well, I'm not gonna like psychoanalyze my family. I think they just wanted to, to I guess, let us discover that on our own of who we are. Um, but I remember moving here, uh, the first time I ever felt ashamed of, of my hair was sixth grade math class. Um, a girl who I used to sit in front of, I, my hair used to be a lot bigger than this. Um, she would relentlessly, like every day, just like go at me. Like, your hair's too big. I can't see the, the whiteboard, blah, 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 blah. Until like, I finally like just in tears, begged and begged my mom to straighten my hair so that I would just like not have to deal with it anymore. Um, and I think like in conversations that I've had with like different biracial people and black women in general, like there's like always like some sort of journey with their hair. Um, and so I think throughout like middle school, throughout early high school, like I wanted so badly just to assimilate um, and to blend in and to be seen as just like 
one of the other girls, um, except all the other girls' names are Rebecca, and they've got blonde hair and blue eyes, and that's not how the Lord made me. Um, and so I think for a very long time, I had a, a difficult, I had difficulty accepting, you know, my black side. That's, I mean, which is crazy, because like, look at me, like no one's looking at me and being like, yeah, white girl. Um, but I don't think it was really until like the latter half of high school, college, that I really started to wrestle with those questions and began to, like I started wearing my hair back to natural and let me tell you, it was a rough transition. It was four years of looking, yikes, like girl, maybe we should just shave it off and start again. Um, but I think like through that process of like learning to love my hair, I began to learn to love like how the Lord has made me um, in like, I guess, coming to terms with like part of my cultural identity. Hi, I'm Savannah uh, Ham now. Um, it's actually hard for me to get used to that now. So Savannah Serta. Um, and um, my family is originally from, I was born and raised in California um, until I was the age of 11. Uh, both of my parents are um, from, they were born in Ensenada, Mexico. Uh, there were both immigrants coming over to uh, California at the age of three. And so they lived the majority of their life in, um, in America. And so at the age of 11, my family decided to move to Beckley, West Virginia. And then, um, yeah, that was really big culture shock for my family. Um, just because I, we were so used to being around family and being in a very diverse uh, area of the world. Um, I went from having like 50 cousins to just like no cousins over here. Um, I remember going to school and being like, man, are all the Mexicans like extinct over here? Like I was just confused. Um, and um, Growing up, I had also just gone to a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking churches, um, and I think the very last church that we had gone to before we moved out here uh, was super diverse. It was like mainly, probably the majority was probably Filipino, and then there was Latinos and um, whites and blacks, like a diverse amount. Um, and so when we went to Beckley and started at a Southern Baptist church there. Um, never did I really ever from our church feel any prejudice or anything. Um, always felt very welcomed by everyone. Um, and that was just like amazing just to feel so loved and accepted uh, because it was not going like that for me um, in middle school. I had a few people that had bullied me because of uh, my race um, and I was just kind of thrown back like what what like what's going on I never had any trouble with that before um, just like being from California um, my parents never like spoke to us about that really either um, and I know my dad was someone that was uh, kind of went through it more so than my mom uh, just because of the neighborhood that he grew up in uh, was just very, um, there was just like a lot of gangs and a lot of um, races against each other. 
And so uh, just even coming to Huntington for school and coming to HCC, I was thankful to have not felt any prejudices in this church and feeling very welcomed here um, by my church family. And so, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. One of the blessings of being in the body of Christ is just the opportunity to listen and learn and grow from one another. And that's what we'll be able to do this evening. Um, just even spending 30 minutes with this group in the back, I, I really appreciate it. I learned how I can better love uh, my brothers and sisters. Um, and so it's a really a treat uh, to have them share uh, with us tonight. So we have nine pre-submitted questions. They're excellent questions from our church body. And so we'll start with number one. Um, if I am a white person listening to you share your experience as an ethnic minority, what are helpful and or unhelpful ways to respond? I'll start. Um, most helpful thing you can do is not play comparison with other stereo, other minorities. Just because you think that this is not the same as this doesn't mean that both of those stories are really the same. Racism comes in a lot of different forms and not always so like it is an extreme case every time and a lot of it's subtle. So you're not like, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Well, that justifying racism is a bad thing. Probably shouldn't say that. that you know, everyone's feelings and experiences are important. They should be just on that experiences. Even if you may have, it's like, well, I know this black person had no problem. You do this, but that is. That doesn't make that the same for everyone of that race or any other minority. Um, also. Don't divide into white and black. That is really unknown as Latino, that we get completely asked out of the, the conversation about race. It black and white, black, white, black, white. We exist too. Um, so it'd be nice to just be acknowledged as well, we are a different race than white and black, but still, you know, have experiences and stories we'd like to share about how we are and how we will well be seen and, you know, use our differences to help the church. I think something that would be helpful as you're listening to a uh, minority share their experience with you is to like not start off on the defensive, uh, like listen, actually listen, uh, and be open to listening. And I feel like sometimes, uh, it's almost like baiting someone into like saying something that you might view as wrong um, just because it doesn't align with what you know and what is your norm. So I just challenge you all to truly listen and uh, just be there for your brothers and sisters that are of, of a minority. Um, what I would say, I guess, I'm kind of bad at this too sometimes, just in general conversations is like, when someone's any kind of topic, um, especially, I guess, especially in like a, a race kind of situation, like don't feel the need to try to like relate, I guess, especially if it's not, you know, like it's, it's usually not necessary. Like I've done that like with just general conversations. I just feel like your first response has to be to relate to what they're talking about instead of just like listening and responding and, you know, or just listening entirely, not responding. So I think, that's always nice, especially not like trying to relate through an, a presumption you might have on that person's like identity or their group that you 
mentally may think they belong to, that can just, and that, you know, that's super like a, what do you call it, microaggression, like, could be totally subconscious, you're not trying to be mean, you're just like, you know, like, if we're trying to, like, outreach to, like, people of color in a poor neighborhood or something, and you feel like rap is a conversation that could help, you know, bridge the gap, like, maybe that's not the best way to start kind of thing, like, you know, just not trying to find an unnecessary, um, like, relating in that nature, um, and I think, uh, also, I think up front it's super helpful, like, just, like, plainly state what you're ignorant with, you know, like, because that would super, that'd be just helpful for both whoever's involved in the conversation, like, if I, if someone's talking about something you don't know about and you try to relate in ignorance, that can, and super poorly, so just saying it up front would make it easier for, if, depending on what you're talking about, they can address it directly and would probably appreciate the honesty and, like, okay, it's cool, I can totally just inform you as far as I know with this kind of thing, and it frees you from the, uh, I don't know what it is, I guess the, the pressure of trying to hide ignorance, which can, you know, kind of subconsciously just work on you through a conversation where you feel like you have to have a good response. Um, to kind of piggyback off of what uh, Keenan was saying, but I think, yeah, being, just being open and listening um, is super important. Um, and I guess one thing that I would say it, like in how he was saying, like, don't try to like always find like, oh, like this is something that I can definitely relate to them on because I've had several conversations, not specifically like with believers, but just like with white people in general where like they need to feel that, like they feel the need to prove to me that they're not racist. So they're like, you know what? They're like, I really like, if I could have voted for Obama a third time, I absolutely would. And I'm like, I, okay, like that's, I like, it's like, it's like, a, I don't know, like immediately like, it's like or, or like they're like, I love Oprah and I'm like, Okay, like I mean, I'm kind of like Oprah's there. She's not my favorite, but I'm I'm glad you love her, because um, it's just kind of like it's weird, um, and I know it's like kind of like a natural like knee-jerk human reaction to want to be able to try and like build some sort of bridge so you feel like you have like a conversation that you can start. But like I I it's not necessary. Like I think just like being a person open, listening, and um, building like a genuine connection instead of like trying to like find the first thing in your brain that like pops out because sometimes you will put your I put my foot in my mouth like with other people of different races and I'm like I should have not said that and I'm sorry so it's not just like a majority thing minorities can do it too to other minorities um yeah I'm just kind of like with all of them, basically. Um, mainly, I think, just piggyback off of um, Ben, just with uh, just really emphasizing listening. Um, like, if you're wanting to know, just listen. Ask, like, as little questions, or ask all the questions um, in a respectful manner, but just, like, listen. Um, and, again, like, just being defensive, I think uh, that's just, like, a really big turnoff, because I think as soon as it starts being, like, a debate, it's the conversation is not like going in the goal that you're wanting it to go to. Um, and so, and not only that, I feel like, like for me, I feel like I would get really defensive and then it just not go well either. <laughs> um, and so that can just be a, a struggle on both ends. I just want to say, sorry, just based on when she sounded defensive, like that was something I was thinking of, Rose. I guess it could be a challenge for like all of us is if there is something in a conversation that we 
Well, one would be like, let's try to like highlight what are we defensive about up front, and that's super hard to see because you believe it so much. Like that's your only, that's your first response. So it's like I guess trying to highlight those moments, like where am I defensive, and then like maybe if you are defensive, like after the fact, just try to like this is something I've just personally try to do a lot more, and it's tough. It's like why was I defensive, and what you know? Usually it's for the sake of avoiding some emotion or some feeling about, you know, feeling shortcoming in myself and whatever the conversation was. Or, so I guess, yeah, if defensiveness does come up, it can be a good thing in terms of trying to see where you might be over-relying on something. And that's helpful in trying to navigate those conversations with someone who might not see something the same as you. I think another thing, like, just as you're listening to people talk about their experiences is to avoid this whataboutism of like wanting to find a reason as to why uh, one's actions were wrong and instead like again listen um, for like often it's like a like trap like and it doesn't lead to fruitful discussion uh, just instead of argument and it's falling on deaf ears so I like, try to avoid that whataboutism uh, if someone explains something to you uh, and just really have an open mind. Sounds like just in summary, seek, we should, we should be seeking to understand before being understood, I think. Um, I think that applies in a lot of areas of our life and appreciate you guys sharing that. Do you find it more challenging to discuss race with white brothers and sisters? For example, do you have to worry more about how they receive it than if you were talking with another person of color. Yes, um, not and like not to be funny, but um, yeah, I have had some very hurtful uh, conversations with like fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, where I have been in a situation to like explain like an experience that happened to me, um, and then be questioned about it. Um, which just like really hurts like are you sure like that that's happened how it happened did you just interpret those actions wrong when like in like different in the different like scenarios and contexts i have explained like they were very much like racially motivated um which like hurts to like not be believed um and to have like my experiences be belittled and i and i've had like in those conversations to like ask the Lord to like help me forgive because it makes me really angry. Um, and I think uh, it's a process because uh, just because someone claims Christ does not mean that they are like a safe person to share your experiences with. Um, whether that be just because they have like, I mean like we all have implicit biases um, that we have to work through. Um, I have my own that I continually have to be like, why did I respond in this way? So I think uh, yeah, I've like had conversations, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that's been really difficult. And then I've had um, conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ that have been really great. I think it's just a, a matter of figuring out like, I guess in a, in a way, in a sense, like how vulnerable do I wanna be with that person in this conversation? And just asking like out front, like, are you gonna be a person who like, is gonna genuinely listen to me and wants to learn or do you wanna argue? Yes, um, and yes and no, like, 
I've been in this church eight years, and I've, most of the brothers and sisters that I know are all white. That's just how it is. Like, men, most of you guys were not members eight years ago. I can just tell by looking in the room. But, you know, it's not different demographic. It's same, and I trust you guys with everything I have as a family. But um, I remember early on, just, it is difficult to talk about race with white Christians just because they're not knowledgeable in it. And so they do get defensive, and they do try to find what about isms or justify themselves when they don't need to. Just need to listen. Um, also, one big thing is unity. Rest can be very divisive and not talked about correctly. But because no one talks about it, it stays incorrectly talked about. So then when you try to bring it up, it just causes division that we didn't, we're trying to avoid in the first place. But it shouldn't cause division. If Christians are supposed to engage the culture and engage all people groups, why don't we talk more about race? Why wouldn't that be something we want to discuss rather than turn back from it? We shouldn't be afraid of division because if the unity in Christ is bigger than any division, race should be another thing we just put under the gospel where we can talk about with brothers and sisters and not feel that we got to justify ourselves or to try to, you know, work isms and stuff. I just, we don't talk about race here at this church much. We never have. We don't need to for most of the part because a majority what? They're like a few minorities every year and every school cycle we get, you know, a handful of us, but it, the church is designed to be unified in the community and the community is majority white. So it just, it's difficult because like no one here that was personally done anything to me in a conversation where I find like, oh, they're just being like racially emotive, but it's also just hard to talk to anyone about race because everyone feels equally unaware what they're talking about, and that's not good for anyone. If we all unaware, then we get no meaningful conversations. And I think as Christians, we want meaningful conversations. I know, talking to a lot of you guys, I have tons of meaningful conversations about everything but like politics and race. Like everyone, I can talk to most of you guys about those, those two issues. Those two issues we just kind of evolved, we just don't talk about. And so that does make it difficult. It does matter to me, because it matters to what well, go on the news, and now we're going on down, you know, for my family and stuff, but like not important to everyone else. So, yes and no, like there, it's hard to talk about, but at the same time, I trust you guys, and I know I could talk to you about if everyone just felt less need to justify themselves and just listen, like they would do any other topic. Any other topic, everyone just listens, quiet, they take questions, and nope, but rest and everything else is like not too divisive. We need to, you know, push unity, which we should. I believe in unity. Just Adam did a really good job with his sermon about unity this past couple of weeks. And I'm like, is that what we're looking for? And is that what we want up on the stage? We don't want more division because of us. We want unity that is diverse. <laughs> of complete thought on this. I mean, I feel to the question yes and no because, I mean, you could ask probably a few people in here, like, I'll talk to you about anything for, like, way too long sometimes, so, and if you ask me a question about, like, race or anything, like, I, I mean, I'll give you my honest answer, and I'm, usually, I mean, I'm pretty, I, I just assume the intent is obviously, especially with brother and sister, it's going to be, I would, I just have the assumption that the, the intent in your question would obviously be from place of goodwill and like seeking to understand um, I guess um, 
the only reservation I would have is, I guess, maybe sometimes I feel like I could say it, just depending on who it is, I don't know if how well they may know me, I guess it could be. Molly, I think my main concern would be just maybe my point being misunderstood or presumed and that kind of veering the conversation away from how I really feel. I guess that that's happened to me before. So it's not like obviously not intentional or like hurtful or anything necessarily. It's just, um, yeah, I guess the intent, my intent and my position can be like based on something I might say might be um, incorrectly assumed and that just kind of veers it the wrong way and I don't know, I guess in a case with me, I just wouldn't try to like fight to get it back to my original like line of whatever point I was moving towards. So yeah, I guess it's kind of goes back to the previous question, just not trying to assume off of what you've heard so far and just continuing. If you're not like, you know, just not being, if you're not totally aware, just kind of being honest about that. But yeah, I think it's, all this should be really easy to talk about. I know it's not and um, I don't know, I feel like I, I've, become, I've come to have a, not like a, a joy, but like I'm, I'm fine with answering these kinds of questions if someone were to ask me. Like I want to answer those things. I want to, I've learned, I've realized like the Lord's really worked on me in this and my intent is to like, I want, that, that challenge is good. And it's like, when we had conversations last year on Thursday mornings where like, I felt a lot of things and I still feel them today, but the way I said them was just like, so in, like inconsiderate in many ways. And I've, learned and just be sharpened in that way and like uh that's been a challenge for me to like respond like i i'm learning about the things i've talked about and the way i respond so like the desire for all these should be like on our minds because we will learn the way we respond we can learn from ourselves how we respond just as much as we or maybe close to as much as we learn from someone like hearing them answer us and so that's been kind of like a main motivator for me and being able to talk about hard things is that like It'll just highlight my ignorance and help me to be better at all that stuff. Um, for me, I would also say yes, um, just because I think um, it just comes with your like experience from that race. And if you're a different race, then you don't experience things the same. So I feel like that's just a little hard. Um, I had a friend who... Um, we were talking about like immigration together one day and um, I had mentioned how my uncle owns several Mexican restaurants around the area and how some of the um, workers were undocumented and, um, and how I know that's illegal of course, but for him, he felt like he was helping them by giving them jobs and such. And, um, and how I thought, like from my perspective, I was like, I think like this is a good thing and trying to explain that. Um, however, my friends who were my best friends, um, still are, um, who are also believers were just like kind of taken back and just not really, um, I can see that they just didn't understand it at all. Like the, like a, just the life of an immigrant and just like how hard it can be um, until, which like God is just really cool in the way he uses people in different ways. My one friend needed a job and uh, she was doing a babysitting, like just babysitting. And one of the workers at the restaurant that I knew um, needed a babysitter for their children. And um, she got really close to this family that, um, 
their, the parent was undocumented, and she was able to see with her own eyes just how hard they were struggling. Like, she was able to go to their house. She was able to babysit and see how, like, he was not home all the time with his kids and how hard he was working and, like, the long hours and the fact that, like, uh, ICE was called on them and how he was deported and how his, his kids had to be taken back to um, a hard family situation. Um, and she literally, like, we cried together. Um, so I think in that case, it was really cool for God just to um, use my or have my friends see that in that way and just being like a primary source and see it with their eyes um, that, yes, like immigration is illegal and um, it's like not allowed and things like that, but still then um, just like understanding why immigrants do the things that they do in some case, like why they come here, why they still try to work. Um, but yes. I would definitely say like it has been more difficult to discuss race with brothers and sisters that don't look like me. Um, it's always going to be a challenge um, simply because like you can't relate to my experiences and that's not any fault of your own. Um, so I think it very much goes back to just being receptive and willing to listen um, because like there are things that I'm sure many of us up here have experienced that, frankly, like, you won't have to face. Uh, just, it's a reality of being white in America. And I would say it has been also difficult to discuss race with those that do look like me, because as I've come to know Christ, like, my worldview has changed, and I have a different love for people, and it's not a grudge or a hatred towards uh, my brother and sister who might be ignorant in a sense just because they can't relate to me. Um, but instead, I try to love them and share my experiences with them so that they are ignorant and can love others better. Do you have any perspectives on what it might look like for the HCC body to faithfully reflect the ethnic makeup of Huntington. this can be a hard question um, because I feel like in a place that is not super diverse where there's like many different um, races and it's just like primarily just like black or white like Huntington um, I feel like that's what your church is gonna look like you're just gonna reflect the uh, neighborhood that you're in or the city that you're in and so um, I remember listening to a podcast about, um, like, if one majority of a race was, like, bad to have in a church, and, um, and they had mentioned, like, as long as you are continuing trying to reach those that are, like, of other ethnicities or races, but also keeping in mind, like, you want to have a 
You don't want your church to become cultural-centered. You want to remember to have it Christ-centered, and that being the goal where um, the people in the congregation are, like, remembering to uh, continually uh, just have a mindset of being on mission and reaching not just people that look like them, but also people that don't look like them in all different neighborhoods. And so um, I think something that also helps me in this is just like uh, remembering that Christ came to serve others. um, And he did that in so many different ways. Um, And so just remembering like how can we serve each other being in different like races and ethnicities um, in that way as well. Well, our church has always been located in the eastern part of Huntington. We have always been, from the very get-go, in this part of Huntington, Marshall, Southside, Beverly Hill, all these areas. Our church has been in that kind of area. So we have been very fortunate because we went into the campus. We've been a campus church, so we get by with a lot of outreach by not doing outreach to, like, Marcus Terrace while over there. I mean, you got a whole demographic of people of... Black culture just literally blessing them out from us. And that our outreaches don't go that way because we don't know, unfortunately, the stigma that comes with that area. It's not very safe, and it isn't. I mean, and that is a problem. We don't go out there. But our church, I think, does a good job very much being open to anyone who want to come in. We have always been that. We have always been an open-door church. Like, you have always been able to walk into our church and be like, I like this or dislike this and work out. Like, and I've always appreciated that. We never like force anyone to conform to anything. We've always been able to get. But at the same time, we never had to really focus on minority stuff because minority comes to us. They're, okay. they're college students. And they're right there for us. But I think the way we best reflect, and I know that our church had talked about this in years past of how do we get more Huntington kids can, for example, a reflection of trying to get to these areas of Huntington to diversify our church, to do that kind of thing, not to just diversify, but for people to be grow, you know, make disciples of, and change their neighborhoods. Maybe the neighborhood won't be so unsafe anymore, could it be Christians living there, Christians are discipled and trained and equipped to handle that situation. So I think what, doing what we've always done, but I think just being more pregnant to understand that, man, we don't really gotta go that far to get like more diverse if we really want to. I mean, I have, my work is the mental hospital right there. Michael Terrace is literally right on the bottom of the hill. If you tell Tony left to the church, then turn right. Uh, or turn right, to, or turn left, you go right to Michael Terrace. You can get right to the project by turning left to right. So, I don't know, I think, and again, to be fair, our church has talked about it for a long time. I don't think our church has never talked about the idea of going out to Huntington. I just think that now we would be a really good time, a timely thing to do, to be more focused on how do we reach our brothers and sisters that across the hill right there, who are going to be majority black and therefore a whole different you know, people group than you know, what we're wishing on campus, because the campus is going to get little diversity because, I mean, we get literally international students all, all over the place. So 
And we don't do any special ministry for that necessarily. We, never, we have no more recently, but like never need to because everyone just comes to church. So I think the perspective would just be um, do what we always do, but just really funnel that into the neighborhood that not getting good discipleship making because I think the only need to change for most neighborhoods is just that, gospel, discipleship, mission focus will go a long way to fixing all of our communities and by nature make HCC more diverse in a bigger church and a bigger good non city. Um, I mean, I feel like we, we have, I feel like this church represents well its city. I mean, I know there's always a snare of, we don't want to get caught in the numbers, you know, and, and, but I think we, we represent well, I mean, what Huntington's makeup is. I mean, although there are sections of it that are, like he was saying, very majority black. And when Tony was saying about um, Markham Terrace, and this isn't like, this is, I guess it can be considered like a challenge in all of us. And I've no like room like this is something I struggle with a lot but like when he says it's like uh, dangerous you know like there's people here that are made that go here at least that have been in nations that are 10 times more dangerous than that and you know it's no big deal like it's a big deal but in terms of going there like we know it must be done and Markham Terrace is really no different and I know it can when we usually I mean I I can, I, I really like just that idea of a dangerous neighborhood. Obviously, I don't want to like my first thought, self-preservation. Why would I go through that? Like, why am I going to walk through there? And I lived in Dunbar. It was the same, like, I wasn't aware of like the race context, but why would I go down there? It's just not, you know, it's not safe. And then, but if we're coming from the perspective of uh, while we're here and what we're doing, um, the danger of Markham Terrace, you know, or whatever danger might be there, uh, if anything, is more reason for us to go. And, you know, it's the same idea of going overseas to a nation that, like, we have, like, at least we already have the advantage in some ways of, I mean, we're all in America, we have some kind of minor connections in American culture of the sort. <clears throat> um, but I guess, obviously, danger can, you know, and uh, the lack of safety can be, of course, that's the first thing is kind of just, it's just, it makes it harder to, for outreach. And this is not, you know, this is something I've struggled with in general, like not with anything particular, but just when he was just saying that, it just hit me that like, you know, that's just, you know, it's a mission field. Most of them aren't safe because the Lord's not, you know, like the, the gospel is not there and the people that are there. And like he was saying, like, that's the first step is like, I mean, it might still be dangerous when the, like the gospel is there, but you know, that's, that's just the, the battle we're in while we're here and but and I, I feel like that's that is the first step if we want to you know like for this question is asking just more faithfully represent is like they might not come here but if we go there and they hear and that's the first step and you know um but i think this church has done has been amazing at um just representing its community and if not having the numbers necessarily for every ethnicity or race, the desire is there, of course. And I've been to churches where that's not even like, you know, obviously a thought. And like, we're not captured in the number thing, the numbers idea, which is like just amazing to be a part of. And yeah, I just think as long as the desire is there, like people are gonna come and like, that's just like trust in the Lord that they're gonna look many different ways and they might be mostly white, but that's just where we live. Um, but 
I think as long as our the desire is there, like this, the subtopic of what they look like will be fulfilled in our in the mission itself. I think uh, being in Huntington, where our church is, we are demographically challenged in that the majority of Huntington and the majority of West Virginia is white, and I think HCC, considering those things, has done a very good job of engaging the community um, that does not look like them, uh, whether that be at Marshall. And I think Marshall is a particular uh, setting in that you have college students and international students that are there for a set amount of time, and frankly, they're not going to be here all four years uh, or for the rest of their lives, if we're just being real. Um, but we do have outlets with uh, other organizations that make up minority groups like Eddie Lewis Center and just like in engaging our community in like Spring Hill Elementary. So I think we've done a good job of like networking and making those connections. And I think we just need to continue uh, to love people and let the gospel do the rest. Like I don't think we need to focus on numbers. Uh, and I think that's when things might not turn out also well, um, but focus on getting the gospel to people that need it. Yeah, when I when we got these like pre like set questions, I was like thinking about this and I was like, eesh, like I don't I like that's really hard. Like West Virginia, obviously, as we've all said, overwhelmingly white. Um and I don't really think like in like I've like really racked my brain, like if there's a different way that like or manner that we can go about like inviting more people in the community. I think something that I've like thought about though is like there I think like if we are like, I mean, obviously we don't want it to be a numbers game, but if we're wanting to engage more with like the black community in Huntington, I think that will be hard. Um, just as a white majority church, um, I think that there is like, de there's definitely history. Like, I mean, like there's like, there's white church, there's black church, there's a clear divide there. Um, and it's because we've made that divide. Um, and I think there like is potential for wariness um, just within like, I guess, things being like heightened today with like conversations about race. So I guess like that's just like a, a thought that just kind of like popped into my head um, from like just conversations that I've had with people who are black and aren't believers. Like they're kind of like, some of them are a little sketched out. They're like, oh, you go to an all white church? And I'm like, I do. Um, but like, they're people who are loving and they wanna know me for who I am. Um, so I think like, if we want to engage, like I think just like having that as like a, like there's a potential that there could be some resistance and like not to like be hurt by that um, because the wariness is there for a reason. I would also just like, just growing up in HUD funding housing, I guess I would encourage you all to like guard against what I feel to be like often a white savior complex of like, let's go save the little brown boys and girls in the projects and the little white, the white family in the trailer park needs the gospel just as bad as the black family in the projects. and. So often, just like growing up in Southern West Virginia, 
I would notice like the predominantly white churches would only send the bus or the buses in on Sunday school to go pick up uh, kids from the projects, and that's wrong. And I think we just need to be weary of that. I'm going to move to question five. Do you have any perspectives on the race conversation that you consider unpopular, whether among Christians or elsewhere, that you would be willing to share? Uh, yeah, I have some unpopular views that I would say don't fit into a white evangelical context, um, just in conversations that I have had. Um, I, I do support Black Lives Matter. Um, I know that has been um, very divisive. Um, I think I would love to see the church be at the forefront of like of justice and wanting to say like, hey, we see a wrong here and we wanna be a part of that change. But I think the white church specifically has been silent on that issue. And so where we, like where the church has been silent, like secular people have been like, no, this is wrong. And I think that's like a failure on like the church like as a whole. And I think it's, um, it comes from a, a place of like I just it being uncomfortable um, and if you grow up in your own norm and you don't ever hear the outside perspective um, you don't want to like perceive like that your perspective couldn't be like the only perspective that is experienced as a whole um, so I think like I've had conversations like I have an aunt whom I love dearly it's my white aunt I don't have any black aunts or cousins um, but uh, she is a woman who like loves me, loves my brothers, um, but told me straight to my face that uh, she thinks Black Lives Matter is evil, which is like crazy, because she's got a niece who's black. Um, and I don't think like she like realizes that I am. Um, so like that's like just kind of like an interesting dynamic in there. Like I don't think she like perceives like me and my brothers as like because she like grew up like loving us like as other. Um, and so I think, yeah, like in Black Lives Matter, I support that. Um, and then just like in conversations of like critical race theory, I'm not gonna front, like I'm an expert in it. I got a degree in nursing in no way, shape or form. Did we ever sit down and have a class and be like, here's critical race theory. But um, I think just like in my research on it, I'm not gonna say it's definitely not like a biblical like understanding of like the world, but I think it's a secular attempt to see how race um, and uh, culture interacts with the law and how the law, like how those have been at odds. Um, I do believe in systemic racism. Um, I don't think like, obviously not every day of my life I'm waking up and I'm being oppressed by the man, like that's not a thing. Um, like for me, like I like wake up and I go about my daily business, but I think like there are, are statutes in place in I guess pre-cultural sets in place that do hinder um, people of color. And I don't think that, um, it's not to say that like white people don't struggle, absolutely, like on an individual level, like you, everyone, everybody struggles. That is a part of living in a broken world, but uh, your struggles 
aren't emphasized um, more because of how you look and you don't have like that barrier to fight against, I guess, in a way. So I would say that those are some of my um, controversial opinions in a white evangelical context. Um, my view is controversial only in the fact that Christians sometime in the 17th century just lost this ability to be dichotomous in our nuance. Like we had lost the complete ability to go, Black Lives Matter's organization may be bad, but Black Lives Matter as a concept is a good thing. We had completely lost the ability to hold stuff in dichotomies, which is crazy, because as Christian, every single day we have been dichotomous. We believe a man died, right? That really happened, but we also believe he's woke from the dead, so he can't be dead. So we, we always die common. We die common about everything in our faith. We believe that God is three in one, but let we will hold that each of the posts in the Trinity are not blended, like with the separate. So we always been dichotomy, but for some reason, 20th century, by just the history book show, we lost this ability to have conversations about rest, because rest now becomes, uh, well, you must be liberal, you must be leftist. And like, why did we miss the nuance? Just because I will agree with the statement black life now doesn't mean you just should discount me as because I'm an opposite party of me or I disagree with that. And I also think, like, I mean, unpopular opinion, I think critical rest theory is very unbiblical. I don't think you got any place in society either, because I think, secularly speaking, it misdiagnosed the problems. Because the real problem in a lot of our context is social economics, especially for slavery, because that why it was, it was because black people were property assets to white people, that slavery was so popular, okay, made money off of them. So I do believe critical rest theory missing the mark when they diagnose rest as the major issue. But again, if I said I support some aspect, somehow I'm crazy and on the left now, because I somehow will give credence to some of the conjecture of the sociology behind critical rest theory, but I would deny it from a Christian aspect because it doesn't help the gospel. I see nothing fulfilling in being critical rest theorists. I also believe social justice is misnormal. When we are talking about equity, we're not really talking about justice. Because justice will require us to be arbiters of the law and know everything good and bad. We don't. We can never actually be just. It's impossible for humans to be just. Only God is just. The only time you see it, people are just as God. So I think we got to change the content from social justice to more like social equity, where we really start to understand how do we get to the everybody is in the American dream and not just one West, like everyone's American dream. And at that same time, that not discount the fact that people are individuals. See, I can be dichotomous. I can say that everyone is one American and at the same time affirm that black, Latinos, Asians have their own subsect of culture in that America. So I just think that my controversy that we don't think anymore. Like I think that Christians should go back to being dichotomous, hold things in dichotomy. We said all the time, our flesh and spirit wrestle. We are in dichotomy. We've always been dichotomy, except for that issue, politics and race. Because otherwise, you just get paintbrushes. Oh, do you support Black Lives Matter? You must be leftist and crazy and certain and communist and whatever else social media love to like spill or the mainstream media like to spill or the opposite. You against it somehow. You're bigger than a racist and uneducated, and that's not true either. I think we just need to get better being nuanced and dichotomous. 
Just go back to what we did in the 17th century. No one until then had an issue being like, yeah, this is true and this is also true. This is false and this is also false. Like, you can have both. Like, it doesn't have to be an either-all thing. Um, I guess, I don't know, I, I kind of share with many things they said in terms of, I guess, perspective that could be considered unpopular. Um, I don't really know how to, like, just be the, the, the reason that they're unpopular, could, you could talk about it for too long. So, but I guess um, the interesting perspective I may have in terms of, like, I, I don't know how to like frame it properly. Just I guess the concept of police. I, I know that's one that's not, it's not fun. People have served in it. That also conflates to military and everything like that whole the whole concept. So um, my dad's been an officer, like I said, and so this has been a when I had my like my I guess awareness of race and uh, all that kind of raised uh, in about like 2017, 2018. Um, I was just in a, I feel like in a rage most of the time, once I realized, like there's a quote that I can't remember properly, and I'm probably butchering it, but it's to be like, be black and aware in America is to be constantly angry, pretty much. And um, when I got this, that's where I was. Like I was just, I was pretty angry. And like my dad, like we had like shouting matches because, and he's black and like, you know, like I think I was from the premise of like, we should just be able to agree on this stuff, but, um, it's, you know, he's been an officer for a long time, and he's seen, uh, like, the, what the job brings, and, whoops, and the, uh, you know, because it's easy to say all cops are bad. I don't think that at all, obviously. My dad's one. I don't think he's a bad person. But um, I also think that we have this tendency to believe that because someone has an occupation, that they, that part, the, um, part of their, the weakness of the humanity is just not there anymore. So like an officer can't break the law because he's an officer or like a, uh, I don't know, like a, a lawyer can't lie because he's a lawyer and he knows that like it, you know, like I think there's this, there's this um, idea that, you know, if we see a story and something happened to a person of color, we have to assume that um, the officer wouldn't lie because that person's not like, well, you know, so I have my, I guess my controversial uh, opinion is that um, the construct of like police isn't, I don't think it really is meant to, to defend or protect a uh, minority uh, um, what's the, success, I guess, or not success, but just um, um, like a progressive, not in a political sense, progressive like continuity of minorities so and that's that's super nuanced and you could talk about like a thousand different ways why that's the case I just um, uh, you know I just as I've like just observed like how we do things and how like we kind of conflate our culture is now conflated to every idea like Tony was saying we the, the nuance is eliminated in that and um, you know I don't I do police, you know, I'll go outside police, don't, they don't look, they don't attack me. I don't like, the, you know, the, the existence of my, the non-existence of my, you know, oppression of this group does not, you know, mean it's gone everywhere kind of thing. And 
that's the nuance, I guess. That's hard to like describe. It's hard to explain. I don't know how to like prove it to you. I mean, I, I feel like social media has been a good way for me to like. I know sometimes context is taken out, and I've done, I've done due diligence in many aspects to avoid just being like someone who just paintbrushes, you know, a situation. But I think we owe it to. We just owe it to like our brothers and sisters in Christ who are black. Um, and just people in general who are, or, or black or minority of any sort that, like, it's there and it's real. Like, that oppression is so real and it's so hard to, like, prove that to someone. And I don't know how and I don't know how to, like, and my, you know, whatever my unpopular opinion is, I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to, like, summarize that in a way that would be like, oh, that's concise and makes sense. It's just... I feel like when you look at how we do things, like we as a country, I guess, when a place never really reconciles with its sin and maybe like kind of broaches it, but doesn't like, I mean, recon like reconcile is like, like to the truest sense, like a repentance. Like, yeah, like, you know, civil rights and things came, like obviously some great work came out of that and great progress, but like when you never reconcile, it just like, Sin nature is just to adapt and to, you know, create another facade. And, like, we do that on a personal level, and we do it on a societal level, and we do it, like, institutionally. And so it, as we've kind of, like, I guess I don't know how to, like, turn this into something. I, I like to try to turn each thing into, like, a personal challenge. It's just whatever we, like, personally subscribe to, like, secular, like, you know, culturally as a nation, whatever it is, like, you, I guess you hold allegiance to, maybe not allegiance, it's a strong word, but just the belief system that lies primarily in a secular thing, like political party or belief or institution, like, I think it's just good to challenge that in every sense, like, even to the point, like, you might not trust it anymore, because that's the existence of a black person, is, like, they... They can't trust this institution to do what it should, it, like uh, fundamentally or ideally should. And I guess a white person should, I, I guess the journey for a white person would be how can I challenge this not to, you know, with the intent of like, I don't know, with a false intent, just, just being prepared in every sense that this thing might not be what I always thought it was. And because many people of color already see it that way now. And I guess it's just a challenge to, and politics is especially, like when I was, I was saying, like, argue with my dad, like I, like, I was just, the anger, like I, was, I was just caught into it. I, I started my, this realization politically instead of spiritually. And so, like, everything was just all off. And I was talking to my family in, like, awful ways just because I didn't know how to deal with any of this. And I feel like on the opposite of my dad was the same way. He was responding in anger and there was no spiritual grounding. Like we believed in two opposite things, but like I think the Lord just kind of like swept me up in that and was like, that's why I feel like I have this desire to challenge and challenge myself is like, like I had the desire and passion. I was just full of like wanting to fix the whole world. And I know it's, you know, it's not going to happen where we're at now, but I think if, like, on an individual level, we're able to just, like, kind of free ourselves of, like, the assumption that these things are always good and always going to be good, and not just going, like, well, of course they're not good, you know, like, 
the man-made, but like truly like, I don't know, just kind of being willing to let go of something that we have trusted for so long, if it, especially if we see that it is actively hurting, not just like, even if they're not brothers and sisters in Christ, just hurting people. And like, that happens here. Like, it's not just, you know, a evil nation overseas or something. Like, we, that happens here. And like, I think, I guess it's just the, just like our allegiance is to the Lord and nothing else. And if something that we see actually goes against that, even if we like politically, like, man, this, this person's the best. So we think that they align with, up, with us perfectly. If we see that, that, that conflict there, we have to be willing to just let go of all that and just like seek the, I, I guess the betterment of a, a group of people that might, you might not see, you know, materially uh, a return on your, your, uh, investment in those people but like I feel like we should like that's what the spirit moves us to do is to sacrifice and even if it's not you know like the gain isn't necessarily like self like a spiritual salvation like being moved to love to serve someone regardless of political or anything I guess should be our main motivator and I know that it, you know political stuff has made that really hard for us to do and that, that was something I struggled with so I guess it's just in general, just challenging this whole, all these kind of things we get wrapped up in culturally and just, like, being willing to just, like, you know, let those things die in our hearts and, like, replace them with, like, a just a, I don't know, like, a, just a newfound form of service to whoever was being oppressed in that, in that context. Um, I think an unpopular um, just perspective that I have just with race would probably be um, the idea of like immigration. Um, I feel like being um, Mexican-American and also living in California where um, there are a ton of <laughs> undocumented um, people that live there. Um, it can be just really hard in some ways, uh, just a lot of um, ideas that are incorrect about immigration um, and how a lot of that got heightened during uh, Trump's, um, oh gosh, the time that uh, he was running for president and such, the first time, his first term, um, but just about like building the wall um, and just how a lot of uh, negative things came from that. Um, uh, just like even uh, saying that immigrants are like the cause for like all like for most of the criminal like activity and things like that. Um, and if you actually look it up, <laughs> most uh, United States citizens and um, people that are that were born in America. Um, are actually the number one like uh, cause or whatever for um, just a lot of the criminal activity and things like that. Um, and so I feel like for me, that's just an unpopular opinion of just like immigration. Cause also I feel like immigration brings a lot of good to the United States. It makes it a lot more diverse. You get a little bit of every culture within um, the United States and um, 
you kind of just see a bit of just how like heaven, what heaven could be in a way. And so, um, yeah, those are just some ideas that I have or thoughts that I have about uh, immigration that just have gone towards a negative perspective. And I know, I know that it is like illegal to come here uh, the way um, certain immigrants do. Um, and so I'm not saying that like that's correct. Um, but just even for them to be, to become citizens is really, really hard. Um, and just tell people think it's so easy to say, well, they should just become citizens and come over the right way. It's like, well, do you know what they have to do to do that? Um, and so uh, just a lot of bad um, or just not correct ideas of immigration or things that I just um, wish people knew or did more research on before they spoke about it. And so... in unpopular opinion, I would, would be similar to Adrian's in that I believe my black life does matter. And in this country, I believe that the policies and legislation um, of our government has not served, uh, not just only black people, but minorities in this country. It has failed us over and over and over again. And as I do believe my black life matters, I also believe all lives matter as a Christian. And I believe that every human being needs to hear the gospel. And so like, we can't just focus on like this rebuttal of like all lives matter when our black or insert minority brother and sister does not feel their life matters in this country. It cannot be an automatic rebuttal of like, well, but all lives matter. Like, yes, we know that, yes, they do. But if your brother does not feel that, then we need to address like, how can we make them feel as though their life does matter in the church and in this country? That was a tough question for you guys. A lot of, uh, it took a lot of courage to share you know, your um, perspectives and opinions on these on these matters. Um, I want to make sure that we have time for the audience to be able to interact with you guys tonight. So we may um, just uh, skip down here because some of these overlap these questions. So I'm going to skip down to um, question number seven and uh, maybe wrap it up with question number nine. Um, this question seven is an excellent um, question, and and the writer was very transparent in their honesty. It's based on my limited but genuine research in the idea of race. It seems like the concept of race was created for racist purposes. If this is the case, is it best for us to think in racial concepts as opposed to ethnos, a seemingly more biblical way of thinking about the diversity of the human race? Not saying we shouldn't learn to talk about ideas that are in our culture, but I'm genuinely curious what our brothers and sisters think about the idea of discussing race in the world's terms as a people who belong to another kingdom. Deep down, I just want to accept that, that truth. West and all this stuff is just something made up, manufactured to get divided against each other. No, no, I'm not. I mean, uh, folks, I like that he used ethnos et, there, which normally refer to nations and not normally cultural 
subdivisions, like, that would be like saying, if I'm using ethnos, I'd be saying Syrian, Iraqi, not Middle Eastern. Like, it always refers to nations. And while I do believe that nations is the mission or focus of the whole Bible, I don't think the Bible ever neglects that people are individual too. I, I don't see God being like, oh, you are all one people group and nothing about your divorce. You're sinners and nothing special about you. I saved you. You're done. We're all Christians. That's not how God does. You see, God took the time to not change people. Rahab, the prostitute, is a cannot. He didn't make her a Jew and make her fit in the people of God, but she counted the people of God as a cannot, a prostitute, which shows me that God does care about the individual, not that he approves of sin, but he approves of people of any kind coming to him. Because she wasn't a nation, she wasn't an ethne or ethnos, she was a person of a particular people group that were particularly against God at the time, and she repented and wanted to follow God. And if that's the case, then I think that, you know, we can have some concept of like a more individualized thing of context. I don't think race is a good word anyways. I think it should be cultural subgroup. That way we're talking about, like when we talk about black, we're talking about a cultural subgroup in the general population. Because West, generally speaking, is referring to low actual melanin count, which does exist and is scientific. You and me got different melanins. We don't have the same skin tone. We're not going to have the same skin tone. Our race is based on that, not necessarily what we are talking about in this context, which is most a cultural subgenre. Like, there's a black community with black church and a black identity that is not something we should just ignore in light of uh, American identity. They are still American, but they are black, Latino, Asian, and they still have their characteristics. So I think that West was not correct for West's purposes because you go overseas, might be into Japan, Japan is 99.9% Asian, and guess what? They use the word West too. So not something that manufactured by Westerners to, or the left or the Democrats or whatever you believe it is to divide people. It comes from everywhere around the world is accepted. There is different West. The Japanese people would consider them a West. They wouldn't use ethno for themselves. They would use a West rather than nation for themselves. Because West is a big thing there too. I talked to a lot of the Japanese students when I was over there doing mission work. Guess what? It belongs to them too. Them seeing a white person versus them seeing an Asian person makes all the difference. So race is not just a construct of our culture. I think that American culture does make race a very divisive term and doesn't use it correctly at all. We make it racist because of how we use it, but really we should be able to talk about, again, nuance that all people are created by God and each people are individual. You know, individual divide and become their own separate groups, whether that drew oppression or just to their own, you know, survival instincts. Like, that stuff happened naturally. They're not something that I need to be like, oh, don't talk about rest. The concept of rest, rest exists. Like, I don't think it, I think that this, the biblical way is nice though. Like, diversity of the human rest, like, like, good. We are diverse, but I don't see how we can ignore race and focus on nations when the black people don't have a nation in America. Like, where the ethnos for the black and 
man and woman, but where is that? I don't see an ethnos there. I see an individual subgroup of people of the same particular West that reside in a majority nation as a different West. I would say that I would say yes, race was created at least in a Western sense for racist purposes. Um, looking back at just the history of how black people made their way to America um, from European slave traders, um, the term black uh, or Negro um, was used as a derogatory word for since the institution of slavery um, and it was used to oppress and suppress black people. And I think that now in today's culture, like I'm thankful I can be proud to be black. It's a word that we have been able to reclaim and redefine in America and I would say like I don't identify as African American because like logically that is that's never made sense to me. Like I would never check that box because implying like African American would be that I would be from one, the continent of Africa, and the continent of Africa has countries. And so like one wouldn't be African American, you would be Nigerian American or insert ethnicity American there. So I identify as black and I'm proud of that and I'm thankful that slowly, like, we have been able to redefine what it means to be black in America. I would, okay, I think, okay, yeah, okay. I was, like, confused for a second. I was like, can, I'm hearing myself. Um, but, uh, I mean, I would love if like this like didn't have to be a panel, like we didn't have to have this discussion um, that like, you know, we were all here and like we're, there's equity and slavery wasn't a thing and the genocide of Native Americans wasn't a thing, like that we just all got along, but unfortunately the world is a sinful and broken place. Um, but I think while I do agree with Ben on like, race being a, a social construct that has been used to oppress other people, um, the standard of whiteness being like good and civil, and then anything like the brown you get, the less civil you get as you go on. Um, but I think just in how our society is, like there's no way to get around that. Like, I just don't, I think it's unavoidable. Um, and I think it's, like how Ben was saying, like in my journey of like being biracial and like learning to accept like who I am and like part of like my culture and my identity um, and how the Lord has made me, um, I think like there's a good thing to take pride in that and there's a beauty and diversity in being able to come together across different uh, racial lines um, and to be able to share experiences and to grow. I think there's so much that can be benefited in um, having like conversations like across like racial lines. So I think while I would love that this would not have to be a thing, I think it's a 
in a strange way in how the Lord works, it's a beautiful thing that we can have these conversations and, um, and grow from that. I'm going to go ahead and open it up for our audience because uh, some folks may have to leave and we want to give you guys the opportunity to ask any questions that you may have, maybe something you heard and, and you want to um, inquire more about that or even challenge that, or, that's okay. Um, we're a group of, of believers, that's what unites us, the cross unites us. There's different opinions, perspectives even on the panel um, about some of these matters. Um, and so this is a chance for you guys though, to uh, interact, dialogue directly with, with the group. So if you have a question, I don't know, is there a, a portable microphone that I could take? Which one is it? Keenan's? Okay. So I will happily um, run that to you. Um, you can ask your question from wherever you are. Anybody? Do you all find it easier to talk about a race and racism and just your experiences with people who are Christians or people who aren't Christians? I think I, um, I touched a little bit on that earlier, but I think it just depends um, on the person because I've had good conversations with like brothers and sisters who genuinely really want to know like what my experiences have been. And then I've had not good conversations um, where it's turned into like them being defensive, then me being defensive and it like just like devolving into like an argument that was definitely not like God honoring. Um, and so I, th I think, yeah, it's like kind of, it's a yes and a no. Um, I think it just depends on, uh, like if that person who's asking genuinely comes from a place of wanting to understand versus it just being something to like instigate a, uh, a debate. What would you say to someone who um, says that the church should not speak to social justice issues, but only speak the gospel, and, and the gospel itself will have a trickle-down effect, and that'll solve all the problems? I would say that is uh, a form of passism that I don't think is Christ-like. Um, I think Christ would address that. And yes, the gospel does address that. But as Christians living in this world, we can't neglect tackling social issues head on. We can't avoid that. And I think that would be a disservice to our brothers and sisters in Christ and those that don't know Christ. So again, I don't... I think social justice is such a bad misnomer of what we'll be trying to talk about. The gospel is the solution to almost all of humanity's issue because the issue behind everything is sin. 
The issue is that Jesus talks very much about specific sins too. You know, he, he when he talked to the Samaritan woman, you know, again a racial difference because they were Samaritans, so they were not Jewish. Jesus shared the gospel with them using a totally different method, like you know, than he would the Jewish people, like the Pharisees. The Pharisees he would teach them, he would talk to them in teacher language. To the Samaritan woman, he just asked her, Do you need water? Can I get a glass of water? Like, so I think that we got to be mindful that it's not a bad thing for the gospel to listen to a person and then preach it to where they need it, rather than making like, if you just tell, like this is the issue I had in Japan, when we were evangelizing, like it's so hard to just ignore a Japanese person versus an American in a conversation. Like there's just no way you can have a conversation with someone who is of a different ethnicity, a different culture, and be like, I'm gonna ignore all of that and just tell about how this American feel about Christianity. I don't think Jesus did that. I don't see the apostles doing that. I see them talking to people as people, like, and not ignoring that. I don't think Paul went to the Greek statue of the unknown God and was like, hmm, you know what? I'm gonna, you know, not address the Greek part of this. No, he addressed the Greek part of it, not the God part. Like, do you go Greeks? This is the God that I worship. Like, and he addressed the Greek as Greeks. He didn't say Jesus is the way and the life, and then live like that. He didn't steal gospel. He gospel was losing Greek culture, the unknown altar, to prove the Christian gospel that God is the unknown God, the one that's probably worshiping all this time. So I think that gospel should be preached, but it also doesn't ignore the fact that we can't. We can use it in the cultural context. I can use the gospel in a way that not just Jesus loved you, he died for you, I'm going to know everything else about, anything about you. I'm not going to listen to what you've been to. I'm just going to say Jesus loved you, repent, believe, buy it, bye-bye, I'm done. They're not really mission it. They're not mission work. They're not really evangelism. Evangelism make disciples, which means you got to know the person. So I would say that we should lose um, the gospel over social justice, but at the same time, the gospel never neglects a person's individuality. I don't see us ever being lost in the gospel so much as the gospel finds us as the true self, as new creatures, new humans of a new race, but we're still in the old bodies. Like, I may be renewed, but I'm still Latino body here. Like, I'm still gonna be Latino no matter what happens until, you know, whatever the glorified body look like for me. Because, you know, I think that is a good question, but uh, I, I think we should do the gospel. Just I think social justice is not the right tone. We should be, uh, I hate the word contextualized, I hate that word, but they're contextualized to some degree. Um, I guess the way I'd answer that is, I mean, mostly what they all said, and just, I guess, the church, like, existing parallel to, like, social issues can kind of create this, like you said, like just being passive about it. And and that, that creates a vacuum in a sense to where like one of the main issues with the organization BLM is that they are secular entirely. So, or kind of like a collection of beliefs that is not at all Christ-centered for the most part. So um, when the church is kind of like passively existing beside, you know, we can go and we can preach the gospel, but like you're saying, like just like, 
first to just acknowledging why they're there. Like, yeah, we can disagree with BLM as a, organizationally, but like, why are they there? Like, what has brought you here? Um, understanding that and then speaking to the person and trying not to get caught up in obviously the, the back and forth of whatever the cultural separation is there. But I, I think if the church is just, is not, yeah, we're not gonna be like, you know, the head of every social justice movement in a sense, but I think like uh, we talked about this a little last summer, I talked to some folks, it's like kind of, I think the way I visualized it was what they, there was a Black Lives Matter protest here in Huntington at the park in 2020, um, in the summer, I believe. And the way I visualize is like, we just went, uh, we do the, the listening project on, on campus, just did that there instead. Maybe, you know, it's like, we're not, you know, and then obviously there could be like, I guess the concern could be like association and stuff like that. But I mean, like Tony was saying, like Jesus was like in the middle of like people considered the worst. And like, if like our first, like, and then that's a challenge to ourselves is so, like, as our first response to seeing one of our brothers and sisters or a church within a group we might disagree with and our first thought is to associate them like all ideally and everything and not be like, you know, I should probably be in there too so I can like see what what's going on, like speak past or around the worldly identity they've taken on themselves in absence of the, of the cross and maneuver through that and see like, like I'm with you in this injustice and like in your oppression and this is, this is like the true answer. Like this is how we collectively move beyond like just like yelling at each other back and forth. And like I, th I feel like we don't have to like you know be an organization that you know runs some kind of social justice movements per se. But like if the church is just there, it's just present. And like yeah, I mean our main goal will be to preach the gospel, of course. But like um, I think just kind of being running alongside. Uh, as social justice movements kind of happen or things like that, and these organizations are created around them, it kind of creates this another buffer that we have to work through in order to get to those people in the first place. So I think if we just kind of immerse ourselves in it, disregard you know, false association, um, onlookers, all that stuff, and just, like, we're just in it, like, I feel like that's, like, where, the, like, the, the power is seen, I guess, and just, just going wholeheartedly into into the, the suffering, really. Um, hopefully this makes sense, but um, first part, have you ever been, have you ever had your opinion or thoughts weaponized um, towards a particular end, or does that, does an anxiety that you will be weaponized ever sort of affect how you approach your opinions and sharing your thoughts on anything? You mean like weaponized as in like, if you assert something, it's like, oh, you're a X, like label XYZ or... Yeah, kind of like, it's like, oh, Adrian believes, or said this, and therefore now I'm going to use Adrian as, like, sort of a weapon towards my own ends. Like, this is, like, she said this, she's black, therefore here's why my opinion is a true opinion. Does that sort of make sense? Kind of like using that as a weapon to advance my own 
opinions, I suppose. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I think, yeah, that is, like, a thought that, like, is in the back of my head. Like, I think, like, I'm an anxious person in general, um, so I'm, like, always thinking, I'm, like, did my words come out the right way? And um, will, like, those be interpreted in a negative or positive light? Um, I don't, as to my awareness, I don't think anyone's ever um, weaponized, like, the words that I've said, Um, I hope. Um, But, yeah, I think that is, like, a concern that, like, is in, like, the back of my head of, like, oh, I said something. Did I articulate that, like, well enough to not be interpreted in a in a negative light or context. Um, So I guess just quick context for my question. Um, I grew up in a very uh, rich, primarily white um, town. In my school, there were over a thousand students and probably less than 20 or 30 minority students. Um, and I'm just thinking like Savannah and Adrian, what you guys were talking about with coming to West Virginia and having like culture shock. Um, and I think through things that we did in high school, like publicly as a school and like things that we did in our church that I look back on now that I am kind of more aware of so ignorant, I think, to um, the problems that minority groups faced. And I think while those were wrong things that were totally unsupportive and based out of a place of racism. So I guess my question is, what are things that we can do? Sorry, I think the mic's cutting out because I'm sitting down. Um, What are things that we can do as like your church family um, and in this church to support Um, like you all and to support minorities and make them feel uh, supported and loved and not less and also how can we kind of stand with you all to condemn racism and and try to make people in our area more aware to the things that they have just been blind or ignorant to because it really wasn't until I moved to Huntington that I was I always was a thing of the past to me until I moved to Huntington, I was just ignorant to it. So, yeah. Um, So, uh, actually, I think it was like two weeks ago, I went to a um, coffee shop, Grindstone, um, and I went with an international student, and, um, and we were just talking and, like, having fun, and, you know, and um, I had walked away and came back, and the international student told me, like, oh, that couple, like, they just whispered (laughs) that they didn't like us, and um, and I was like, oh, that's really weird, and then we just continued talking, and then a minute later, they, like, got up and moved, and, um, and she was, like, trying to be super nice to them, like, oh, I'm sorry, here, let me get my stuff, and just, like, you guys have, like, a good day, and they were just, like, looking at us, <laughs> like, you could tell that they, they, they were just not, they just, yeah, they were just having some trouble with us being there or something, and um, I went home, and I was, like, upset, because I was, like, I didn't even know what to do, like, you know, 
um, we like we went when we were leaving. We saw that they literally like moved downstairs to sit down there. I guess to be away from us, maybe. Um, and so I got home and I spoke to Cody about it, and I was like, like, what do I do in that situation? Like, I don't even like I don't even know. Um, and he had mentioned. Um, like, sadly, sometimes there isn't anything minorities can't do in that situation because then it was a white man and, like, his wife that were the people kind of just showing negativity towards us. Um, so in that sense, if it was another minority, he would just be like, like, okay, whatever. But Cody was mentioning that maybe if it was, like, another white person standing up for those minorities in that sense, then then it would give them a double take and be like, oh, like, why are they standing up for them? And so I would say that if you do see racism, like, happening um, to anyone around you, uh, stand up for them, um, like, like Jesus did, you know? <laughs> uh, the way he serves others, um, because sometimes that's a step that we can't do and take because we're just not in that we're not in that uh, majority, I guess, um, to be able to do that. Um, so that's just an idea that was passed down to me that I was like, oh, that would be helpful. What did you have been doing on that? Listen. I mean, conversation start, awareness is brought by listening to people of different perspectives. Um, I think this church is really brave to do this because, you know, how politicized this can be, unfortunately, could have made this a really not good night. But, you know, this church has always been blessed by some of the most like sincere people I've ever met. And I've always been happy to be a part of this church. So I think that, and then like Savannah said, just actively making an effort to make people feel included and feel like they are like okay to be around everyone else, which like, this church does pretty well in the body, like in here. I don't think anyone ever walks in there and goes, man, all these white people don't like me. I don't think anyone, I don't know, I have never met anyone that felt that way about this church in the eight years I've been here. But I think that, you know, just being mindful of everything, listening to people, and then being able to side with people, being like, you know what? No one, the minority people are sitting by themselves. How about I join them, you know, for lunch at campus or something, you know, just though easy gospel transitions that we would normally do, like, and hey, a bunch of minority, no one is talking to them. How about I go over there and have lunch with them and talk to them? You know, just begin to, you know, listen and talk would be super beneficial, especially, like, hell, like, and, well, not a lot of minorities, and not like you have too hard of a time finding us, that we kind of stick out quite a bit, so, like, I think the best thing is just listen and be willing to engage when no one else is engaging, kind of, like, I guess go back to gospel, like, go, well, no one else is going, because chances are, probably a bunch of minorities sitting by themselves with no white person trying to go near them. I think that was a really good question. Um, but yeah, I think uh, how Tony was saying was just to, to be a listening ear um, and to love how Christ loves others. Um, I think one thing, though, is uh, to, con like, this is just like a starting point in the conversation. Um, 
And I think educating yourself is a really big way um, in being helpful and becoming aware of the issues. Um, and being, like how Savannah said, like someone who will, like if you see something, like call it out. Um, I, as a sense of stress relief, have an ongoing PowerPoint presentation of racist things my coworkers have said to me. Um, just as, as a, it's like kind of funny, but not, um, it's how I cope. Um, but sometimes it is, I'm the, I'm the only black person on my unit. Um, and so sometimes it's really exhausting to have to be the person to constantly say, hey, that's not okay. You should not say that. Um, which on, in the, over the past two years, it's actually been really cool. I've had like some good conversations with my coworkers. Um, and one of my work moms now is like, she's like, she goes, Adrian, I used to be so ignorant. She goes, I was just a, she's got a really thick, like, hit country accent. She's like, I used to be, like, just a dumb white girl from Logan. And she goes, now I've been having these conversations with you, and I'm seeing stuff, and I'm like, that's not okay. And I'm like, absolutely, girl, go off. Um, so, like, uh, so it's, like, it's nice to have that support because it is, tiring to be the person who's always having to educate because sometimes I just don't have the mental capacity to do that and people just say stuff and I'm like I'm gonna let that slide because I just don't want to get into it right now I would say just piggybacking off of what Adrian said uh, educate yourself I think that would that helps to like check your heart and to check your microaggressions like they might not be intentional things that you do, um, but they can be hurtful. So just like check your heart and uh, your motives uh, when you're speaking and listening with brothers and sisters that are of minorities. Yeah, I guess just kind of continuing from where they're going. Just yeah, it's just like I know it can be it can be uncomfortable. I guess sometimes just like you could try to talk to someone, one of us, or just. If, but I know that can be an uncomfortable, weird place to start. And, like, I would just say, like, they were saying just educate. Like, that starts with, like, I mean, when I started to get more aware, like, I had to start reading more. And, like, not just reading, like, in general. But, like, I mean, like, be aware of, like, the black culture that I've been largely unaware of, even though I'm a person of color. Like, why is the culture this way? And why, in a response to many things. And it's, like, you know, I started reading about, like, you know, the James Baldwin is a great place to start for, if you don't want to, you know, it's kind of weird to broach that conversation with a person of color, just start with great authors who've basically written out their experiences. Um, uh, I mean, I know most people are familiar with MLK. I, 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 James Baldwin is very eloquent in how he describes the black experience. Um, I would say uh, if you're trying to go a little bit deeper, I know Black Panthers is a little controversial for some people, but I think looking into that origin and that entire history is actually very um, fruitful, and I think you'll recognize, uh, I've come to recognize a lot of similarities in um, some, uh, some parts of American culture today, um, and just seeing, like, the black response, like, why is it that way, and, like, what conditions were to bring that about, and just, you know, like, the, these guys are, most of these, the two names I said are 50s, 60s, but their thoughts and what they said and their experiences are not dated at all, like, they're very, like, they were very uh, prophetic in their, um, prediction and just their uh, evaluation of the American heart. And I think, yeah, just like, it can be weird to talk about this with person of color, so just start with, it really just has to be the desire. And I think that desire will grow into knowledge, which when it's Christ-centered, will turn into uh, grace and service. And yeah, I think it just, it just kind of becomes like a, another personal growth thing.
I think like one thing, if you like do want to educate yourself, um, Alex uh, told me about this podcast and I listened to it and I endorse it, um, but it's called uh, Black History for White People. Um, it's really good. It's on Spotify. Was that, is that the right? Okay. I thought that was right. I like have a bad memory, but like <laughs> um, I've listened to like some of their stuff and like I think they have um, some really good input on being able to learn about history from like a majority perspective looking into a minority. Uh, I think we kind of like came close to this shit, like question, I guess. But um, I know we talked about like how it's helpful to just be like listened to. Um, but as a person who like loves different cultures, different people of different color, uh, food, different foods from different cultures, um, and who like wants to pursue relationships with people of different cultures. Like being a white man growing up in the South who likes to drive trucks and shoot guns. Like, how is it, like, I don't only wanna listen, I also wanna like actively engage people of different cultures. So like, what's a good way to like reduce that stigma in a conversation where I don't have to just listen, but I can actively engage without making someone feel attacked. I think something for me would just, it's almost like the opposite. Like, I would like to hear your experiences because like they're so polar opposite of mine. Like, I think instead of trying to, like obviously like avoid like trying to relate to me because like we're not going to be able to connect there. There's going to be a clash there. Um, but to share your experiences in I think just be a friend to them, like share your hobbies with them. Um, that's something that I found like to ease, like and bridge culture. Uh, it makes it a lot easier, like sharing hobbies. I don't think listening necessarily means not engaging. I guess if, like, that makes sense, like, you can be listening to, like, somebody's, like, uh, like people love to feel heard um, and seen. Um, so I think, like, being someone who's going to be a friend to, like, hey, like, I want to hear about your life and I want to hear about your experiences, I think in a form, like, that is engaging. Um, but, like, also, like, it's a reciprocal relationship. It can't just be, like, me always talking about, like, I guess, like, in a sense, like, it's not always going to be, like, talking about, like, issues of, like, race and everything, but just being able to, like, share life and, like, to share a story and to also, like, yourself be able to share, like, your story, like how Ben was saying. Like, I think, like, just because you're listening doesn't mean you're not engaged with them. Unless, like, if I'm misunderstanding how you mean engage. Am I misunderstanding, Cody?
what I would say to that part is like, I mean, like I, one of us said earlier on, um, you know, people of color have an issue of, of assumptions too, especially it, sometimes it's, they can be very guarded. So that could be, you know, could kind of have a, uh, um, a, uh, I don't know what the word is, kind of, they feel necessary just being guarded maybe through their experiences. So, but you know, it's hard to try to avoid if a person of color were to kind of respond with the, you know, the same tactic that you're trying to not use. So, it, you know, and you can't, it, it's hard to answer for that, you know, try to maneuver that. I mean, if a person of color does do that, I would say, I mean, you know, like they already said, I think the best part is just, just being yourself and like just talking about, yeah, hobbies. And like, I mean, I went to South Charleston High School. We had guys who were like drive trucks that lived out in country parts. And we had some black dudes I knew that, went to, that lived in the hood and they were best pals. And I mean, they just, and they just talked about like, you know, they didn't really hang outside. Well, they were on the football team. It was a lot of guys like that. And it was just being themselves. And I think just like, yeah, there wasn't a lot of similarities in terms of maybe like upbringing obviously or um, just things they generally did as hobbies but like usually I mean <laughs> I think especially if it's going to be like a, a gospel conversation at, at some point like I think the Lord has really like like they were showing just like funny way of just like kind of there's always like a, a point of like kind of union that's always kind of like either like ironic or unexpected and so it's kind of like you know you just got to both sides, both ends of the conversation will have some kind of barriers typically, and like, you know, um, as you're trying to remove yours, the other person might put theirs up because it might be weird, or it might be like unexpected, and it's just kind of like, I mean, I feel like that's kind of the grounds for every eventual uh, gospel conversation, is that is maneuvering and overcoming barriers of like uh, union eventually, so yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's the same way you might share the gospel and someone's like, get out of here or something. It's kind of just like, you know, being respectfully as, you know, repetitive, I guess, or not repetitive, but just, uh, um, I don't know what the word is, just uh, devoted or uh, uh, intentional as you can. And, you know, just trying to broach conversation when you can and where you can. And if, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, just try a different way or just, you know, see where the word takes it, I guess. Yeah. I think. An example of someone who uh, exemplified this well of like overcoming like this stigma was the person that discipled me, Matt Justice. Um, just like we had, frankly, nothing in common when I met him freshman year. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's this country white boy that likes baseball from middle of nowhere, West Virginia in Elkview. Like, I'm like, where is that? And, um, we were able to connect over working out and like this I think finding that point of connection is really helpful. It's like something you both like and uh, just like running with it and letting like the Lord do the rest. Um, Cause like he did a lot of the work in my heart. Like, you know, Matt was there and I'm thankful for him, but like you can't manifest heart change um, in your brokenness. So just, find that connection and run with it. That's what I encourage you to do. And some folks probably need to head out. I think if you guys are open, if you have more questions, maybe I could 
come up after um, after um, we wrap things up. But I want to appreciate and thank you guys for coming and sharing your opinions, your feelings, your experiences, perspectives. And I want to thank you guys for coming and asking great questions and interacting and listening. I think some of the takeaways for me tonight are the, just the importance of listening well and the importance of loving well. Um, we don't always have to agree with things, um, but we, we do owe it to one another to love well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel very blessed in my personal experience growing up at Grace Christian School and Grace Gospel Church. There wasn't very many people of color there, but man, I was loved. I was so loved in that church. I was rarely ever made to feel that, um, that I was uh, stood out or an outsider. I mean, because they love me with the gospel. And I'm thankful for a church um, that does that in our community and does that with one another. Um, just the fact that you took your time this evening to come to spend two hours listening um, says a lot. So we appreciate that. Um, just a few final thoughts um, that I wrote. As Christians, our starting point for any discussion about race or any issue for that matter has got to be Scripture. As we bathe our minds in the absolute truths of God's Word, um, His thoughts become our thoughts, and we learn to see the world through the lens of our Creator and Savior. We know that from Scripture in the Garden of Eden, God created a single human race to be His image bearers. It's only our sinful nature that prevents us from seeing ourselves as image bearers or seeing others as image bearers. When I was a kid, um, it wasn't until at some point I, me and my best friend Jared looked in the mirror and we realized something different about your skin. Uh, we interacted, we played together, uh, but then when we kind of were able to see that, yeah, there is something different, but we never even noticed before. We're all image bearers um, of our Creator and on equal standing there. As a word of final encouragement this evening, may we ask God to help us love one another as holy and beloved saints of God, each created to reflect the glory of God in a broken world. And may we not allow our own brokenness to distort the way that we see one another. Instead, may we approach every conversation with another human being as a conversation that's on holy ground as we walk and talk with a man or woman who has been fearfully and wonderfully made. And may we each long for the day in which every tribe, tongue, and nation will join together around the throne, worshiping our God, each reflecting his creative design. And let's pray together. God, we thank you that we bear your image, that when you look at us, uh, you see the beauty of your creative design. And I thank you that we represent you in our community and in this world, Lord, I pray that every person that walks in this church or every person that we interact with this week will see and feel the love of Christ um, oozing out of our lives because of your Holy Spirit that indwells us. And thank you for um, this church and this group um, shared this evening. And I pray that um, you would uh, just cover us with your grace as we move forward um, through the remainder of the week. In Jesus' name, amen.